Amen. We look forward to seeing you one day soon. Morning, everyone. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word, your word that shows a better way, a higher, nobler, deeper, more beautiful way. Uh, please, Father, this morning, show us that way more clearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. About 100 years ago, a profound shift took place in the Western world, a shift in what we value, a shift in what we find beautiful. And it was a shift that was brought about by the rise of the modern sales and marketing movement. Now, sales and marketing has always been around. People have always sold things, have always uh, praised the things that they wanted to sell so that others might buy them. But not in the way that it shifted profoundly at the beginning of the 20th century and has grown exponentially since then. Now, I'm not having a go. People engaged in the uh, sales and marketing world. Uh, my daughter's actually studying uh, media and marketing. But what the modern sales and marketing revolution has brought is a whole shift in the way society thinks, in what we value, in what we find beautiful. One of the things that we used to value, I think, far more deeply as a society than we do today was character, a noble character, an honourable character. But the sales and marketing revolution, along with a number of other forces, I believe has shifted this. See, what are the things that marketing appeals to in order to sell products? Well, looks. If you buy this, you'll look like this. And you want to look like this because that's beautiful. It appeals to lifestyle. If you buy this, you'll have this lifestyle. And you want that lifestyle because that lifestyle is beautiful. Personality. If you buy this, you'll be more confident, you'll be more fun, you'll be more gregarious and funny, and you want that because that is beautiful. Marketing has forcefully appealed to looks, lifestyle, personality in order to sell to us. And in the process, I believe, has reshaped what we value, has reshaped our view of beauty. See, what is it now that our society finds beautiful? The physically beautiful person, the lifestyle of fun and excitement and enjoyment, and the person with a winsome, gregarious, fun, bubbly personality. Our whole view of what is beautiful has shifted to looks, lifestyle, personality, and some other things. And so we've lost the deeper things. Not that there isn't any beauty in those surface things, but there is a far deeper, richer beauty to be had. As a society, we've generally lost the appreciation, I think, of the beauty of character. A noble character. Kind, courageous, good steadfast, faithful, sacrificial, the beauty of a loving, joyful, patient, kind, good, gentle, self-controlled person. I think as a society we don't value this as much anymore or find beauty in it. Yet, I still think when we see it, we know it. You know it when you watch movies or shows or read a book. You know, they're constantly filled with the surface beauty, looks, lifestyle, personality. But once in a while you come across a moment, a character, in a movie or a show or a book that celebrates that beauty of character, that champions the noble, kind, courageous, sacrificial, steadfast, good, faithful character. And where you find this sort of character portrayed, it captures you, it stirs you, it moves you in a way that you're not normally moved by these more frivolous, fluffy movies. It sticks with you for a couple of days and you think about it afterwards because it was about something deeper, something richer, something more beautiful. It made you want to be better because it was about character. 
Character is a beauty more rich and deep than the shallow things that our society generally peddles as beauty. Noble character. Now, the book of Ruth is a narrative deeply concerned with character. One of the reasons this story is so beautiful is it's because it's about character. The sort of character that is deeply beautiful and so it's stirring for this reason. Character that is fundamentally kind, loyal, protective, filled with integrity. And it's seen strikingly in Ruth and Boaz. And we see their depth of character right throughout the book of Ruth, but particularly vividly here in chapter 3. And so what I want to do this morning is, firstly, look at the beauty of noble character as seen in Ruth and Boaz. Secondly, to think about what this sort of noble character creates in relationships. And then thirdly, to look up and see what this teaches about the character of God in our relationship with him. So that's the plan. The beauty of noble character, the sort of relationships this character creates, and then to look up and see what this shows about God and our relationship with him. So let's start by focusing on Ruth and Boaz, the beauty of their characters. Noble character is beautiful. When you look at Ruth and Boaz in this chapter, their intentions, their actions jump out as admirable, honourable, noble, stirring, beautiful, because they display an uncommon depth and purity of character. You can see that this is the central concern of the chapter from verse 11, where Boaz says that everyone in the town knows that Ruth is, verse 11, a woman of noble character. All the people of the town know that you are a woman of noble character. And that phrase, a woman of noble character, appears only twice in the Bible. Once here, once in Proverbs chapter 31. And if you're a Jew and you read your original Hebrew Bible, Proverbs is right before the book of Ruth. And so Proverbs 31 is the very last chapter of Proverbs. You turn the page and you come across Ruth in the book of Ruth. Now Proverbs chapter 31 pictures the ideal woman, a woman of noble character. But even more than that, picturing the ideal woman, she is wisdom personified, a picture of the fullness of wisdom that has been presented throughout the book of Proverbs. What does the wise life of the book of Proverbs look like lived out? This woman, Proverbs chapter 31. And then in your Hebrew Bible, you turn the page and you meet Ruth. And she is called a woman of noble character. Ruth in the flesh exemplifies for us the truly wise life, which is... A life of character, noble, honourable character, which is true beauty, as does Boaz. Now, in chapter 3, we find Ruth and Boaz in a complicated situation, a situation of Naomi's making. Now, I find it hard to work out exactly what Naomi was suggesting that Ruth was to do. Is it pure and romantic and all above board? Or is it manipulative and dishonest and sinful? See, Naomi's very high-level concern is very clear. Verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Naomi is concerned for Ruth's well-being, for a home for her, a place of rest for her, for provision for her. And in this ancient culture, the way for Ruth to have a home and provision for her was through marriage. Marriage to a close relative of her husband who had died according to the law, as we heard last week. And so Naomi shares with Ruth a plan that she's worked out and that she thinks is going to be good for Ruth to find this home, this provision. Verse 2, here's the plan. 
Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, know the plate where he is lying, then go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, what is this plan? I find it hard to know exactly what Ruth wanted him to do. I think there's two possible ways to read it. Reading one, the, the more positive way to read it. Naomi sees that Ruth's chances of spending time with Boaz are coming to an end. The harvest is over, and so she's not going to be gleaning in Boaz's field anymore and bumping into him. So Naomi comes up with a plan where Naomi is to wash, to perfume, to put on her dress clothes so she looks nice for Boaz. Or perhaps Naomi is saying here, put off your mourning as a widow, wash, dress, perfume, put on clothes to show that your time of mourning as a widow is over and you are ready to marry. Ruth is then to sneak into the threshing floor in the night once Boaz is asleep to uncover his legs so they're going to get cold in the night and he'll wake up and find Ruth lying at his feet. And in doing so, provide a context where Ruth and Boaz can be alone without anyone else around to talk. An opportunity where they can perhaps share their feelings and Boaz might perhaps uh, react, act on those feelings and propose marriage. Now that's the more beautiful and romantic read of what Naomi is asking Ruth to do. And I like it. I like it. However, there are some ambiguities in the wording that might suggest this reading is too positive. The other possibility, a more negative reading. Naomi sees that Ruth's chance of spending time with Boaz might be perhaps coming to an end. The harvest is ending and so Ruth won't be gleaning in Boaz's field. The season is over. And so Naomi comes up with a plan where Ruth is to make herself look pretty, sneak into the threshing floor at night once Boaz is asleep, to uncover his more literally translated lower regions, to lie down next to his lower regions, and when he wakes in the middle of the night, he will tell you what to do, says Naomi. Now in this reading, Naomi is telling Ruth to catch Boaz in a sexual encounter, to have sex with someone she's not married to, which is contrary to what God commands his people back then and today. To have sex with someone you're not married to is a serious, serious sin. And in this reading, the way of reading it, Naomi wants Ruth to do this so that she might catch Boaz in marriage. The law would have forced Boaz to marry someone that he had had sex with. This is to protect women. This reading takes what Naomi is suggesting as far more seedy, manipulative, sinful. I don't like it, but perhaps it's what the author is trying to convey. This is one of those few passages in the Bible I find it very hard to be definitive either way. But this is the situation that Naomi has created. This is the situation Ruth and Boaz find themselves in. I'm not 100% sure either way of exactly what Naomi is asking Ruth to do. At best, at best, Ruth finds herself in a very risky circumstance. Risky in that Boaz could have taken advantage of this situation. Risky in that Ruth could have been seen at the threshing floor, leaving the threshing floor by someone and her reputation utterly ruined. Risky in that she might have shared her feelings with Boaz and he might not have shared them with her. She'd been embarrassed, could no longer glean in his fields. At worst, Naomi has suggested that Ruth do something evil. Seduce Boaz, have sex with him to entrap him in marriage. Now, can I just say, either way, 
It's never a good idea to sneak around in the middle of the night to go to meet a man in a place alone to stay the night to sneak back in the morning. If my daughters are watching, do not do this. The very fact that Boaz is concerned that Ruth might be seen in the, at the threshing floor and her reputation destroyed shows how risky it was. And if Boaz were not such an honourable man, it would have been even more risky. Naomi's plan is at best risky and full of possible danger. At worst, manipulative and sinful. Now in this situation, how do Ruth and Boaz respond? And what does it show about their character? Well, firstly, Ruth. Throughout the narrative of the book of Ruth so far, Ruth has shown herself to be a woman of character. She has been consistently a faithful, loving, committed, dedicated daughter-in-law. She has stuck with Naomi through thick and thin. She has always honoured Naomi, always been loyal to her. Right from chapter 1, Ruth has been dedicated to Naomi and to Naomi's God, the Lord, as she promised to be. There has been great respect and faithfulness and kindness in Ruth towards Naomi. Ruth ha has worked in the fields gleaning to provide for herself, but not just for herself, for Naomi as well. And again here, verse 5, Ruth is committed to doing what Naomi asked her to do, at least to a point. Ruth is motivated by obedience and honour and loyalty towards her mother-in-law, who she loves. And most likely, she's also motivated by an awareness that if things should go well, and she should come under Boaz's protection and provision through marriage. This would mean provision for Naomi as well. The intention of Ruth is for the good and honour of Naomi. Ruth's actions here flow from a very kind and good heart. And likewise, Boaz sees in Ruth's actions towards him great kindness as well. See, Ruth does, at least in part, do what Naomi asked her to do. See, in verses 6 and following, you can see that Ruth does go to the threshing floor in the night. And while Boaz is sleeping, she uncovers his feet and lies down. Boaz wakes up in the night, presumably because he's cold. He's startled to find a woman lying at your feet, as you would be. And he asks, who are you? And Ruth responds, verse 9. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now we'll look a little more closely at Ruth's words here in a moment. But the request is to come under Boaz's protection and provision. It's a courageous and bold request for marriage. Ruth is being very courageous here and totally pure and beyond reproach. There's no hint of sexual immorality on her behalf. But see how Boaz responds, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he said. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Boaz thinks, you are being profoundly kind to me. See, verse 11, remember? Everyone knows she is a woman of noble character. She would have had many prospects amongst the younger men, but instead she wants him because of his character. She's looked not merely at the surface, his age, but gone with depth, his character. And Boaz sees in Ruth's actions a great kindness to him. Now, it's possible to read our culture into this and see the worst things. Older man going after a younger woman. No sense of that here. Younger woman going after a rich old man for his money. No sense of that here. Rather, there is a genuine, deep affection and admiration for each other, a kindness and loyalty to each other. Ruth is kind to Boaz. See, Ruth is a person who is loyal to Naomi, 
who honours her, who is above reproach, who honours Boaz, who is bold, who is courageous, who trusts Boaz, who is pure, a woman of noble character, and everyone knew it. Everyone recognised it. Now Boaz. Boaz is kind towards Ruth. He has been consistently throughout the whole book. Remember when he first met Ruth, who was gathering sheaves from behind the harvesters? Boaz says, please keep gathering in my field, because he knows that he has control of his working men and can protect her from harm. He makes it safe for her to get enough food for her and Naomi to live. And then in chapter 2, when he, he speaks to her, he speaks to her kindly. He honours her by what he says to her. He gets her to come and eat food with his workers, with himself, and generously shares his food with her. And then, when she goes out again to glean, he quietly, so as not to embarrass her, quietly speaks to his workers and tells them, don't reprimand her or stop her gathering grain sheaves in our field. Actually, as you go around, intentionally, accidentally drop some more so that she can get more for herself and Naomi. He's generous towards Ruth and Naomi. Now here in chapter 3, he wakes up and finds a woman at his feet in the middle of the night. How does he react? Honourably. Not a hint of impropriety here. Nor was there by Ruth. And when Ruth effectively proposes marriage, Boaz is ecstatic. He honours her with his overjoyed response, his keenness to make it happen. See again verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he said. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. I'm going to rush to do it. I'm going to do all you ask. I'm going to do everything I can so that we might be married. And in the process of that, verse 11, he, he tells her what everyone thinks of her. He honours her. Everyone knows you're a woman of noble character. But there's a complication which sets us up for next week. The complication in verses 12 to 13 is that Boaz says, though, though he is a guardian redeemer of the family, a closely related family member to Ruth and Ruth's husband, and so eligible to marry her and redeem the property, there is actually another member of the family more closely related to Ruth's husband than Boaz is, who's more eligible to marry her and redeem the property. And so by law, Boaz first needed to see if this guardian redeemer, who was more closely related, would redeem her. And if not, Boaz desperately wanted to. But Boaz says he won't rest until the matter's settled. He won't stop until he has determined whether he and Ruth are able to marry as they both desire. He honours her with his eagerness and action. And there's this beautiful interaction between them. You can imagine they feel very close, very excited, very alive and alone together in the middle of the night, standing next to his bed. And yet, he's self-controlled. He will not be sexually active with her until he is married to her as his right and God-honouring. And then, he goes about protecting her honour by sending her away in the early hours of the morning so that no one might see her and her reputation might be protected. And as he sends her off, verse 15... He sends her off with her shawl filled with barley because his heart for Ruth, his heart for Naomi is to do good to them, to be kind to them, to bless them, to do right by them. See, Boaz is a man who is kind, generous, self-controlled, worthy of trust, who doesn't take advantage of Ruth but is concerned for her reputation, a man of his word, a man of action, a man who does what is right rather than what is easy. 
Everything about Boaz in this account speaks of character. Everything about Ruth in this account speaks of character. They are people of noble character. And it's stirring because it's wonderfully beautiful. Do you see the beauty of it? Now let's apply this to us. What do you find beautiful? What do you love and value? What impresses you? Is it good looks, fun lifestyle, winsome personality? Or is it something far richer and deeper? A noble character, faithfulness, kindness, loyalty, gentleness, love, protection, self-control. What do you value in yourself and others? Is it character? Now, this is a weird illustration, but bear with me. There are many people who like playing uh, video games called role-playing games. And in a role-playing game, you become the character in the game. You control them and you choose what they do in each situation. And once your character gets enough experience, they go up a level. And when they go up a level, they usually receive some points. Some points that they're allowed to spend on their development as a character. And you can choose. You're in control. You can choose what, it, what you spend your points on to make you a better you in the game. Will you develop your intelligence? Will you develop your dexterity? Will you develop your strength? Will you develop your charisma, your endurance? Or perhaps you'll spend all those points to learn a new skill which is going to get you further in the game or a new ability or a new item. When you go up the level, you choose how you develop you. Imagine this is life. You've just gone up the level. You've just received three points. How are you going to spend them? You, know, you can stack them all on one thing that you want to develop in, or you could have two on one and one on another, or three different things. Where will you spend them? I've got some categories. They're going to come up on the screen. Where will you spend your three points? And if, if you spend it, you know, your little bar will jump up a great deal. Looks and physique. If you spend it there, your looks and physique would jump up a bunch. Strength and fitness, lifestyle and enjoyment, charisma and personality, career advancement, an honourable character, high intelligence, wealth and property, success and achievement. Where are you going to put them? All on one? Two on one, one on another? One on three? You have these points. What are you going to spend them on? Because what you choose to spend them on shows something about what you value, <laughs> something about what you find beautiful. But more than that, do you know that you are spending these points day by day, week by week by how you live? You're choosing what to invest your time and energy and love into. We're doing this by how we live each week. We are choosing something. Are we choosing character? Let me push this strange illustration a little bit further. If you were to choose character and you wanted to go deeper into that, which, which aspects of character would you choose to grow in? You've, you've got three points. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Which ones would you pick to grow in? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control With your three points, which one or ones would you choose to work on? I think I'd choose joy, patience, and self-control. Now, you can choose to work on those this week. 
You can choose to work on those this month, this year. This time during lockdown is a great time to develop character, noble character, because times of trial can help us develop character if we let them. And, and you develop character by praying, Father, Heavenly Father, change me in this way. And then you work hard at, at, at not doing the wrong thing, but, but growing in that particular thing, trusting the Lord, praying to him for strength to do it. And when you fail, you ask for his forgiveness and the strength to change again. Beware wanting to be or looking up to the cool Christian. Don't be the cool Christian. Be the character Christian. Or we often admire or want to be the competent person, the person who is really good at things. This is such a second-tier thing to character. Who cares if you are infinitely able and yet have no character? We often or admire and want to be the person with charisma, the person with that really great personality. Such a second-tier thing compared to character. Coolness, competency, charisma, <sighs> character. Character is king. That's the first thing we learn from this passage. Noble character is beautiful. The second thing is noble character is beautiful and creates relationships of trust. See, why is Ruth willing to go along with Naomi's plan, at least to an extent? A plan that either way is very risky. Well, I think Ruth's willingness to go along with Naomi's plan to the threshing floor in the middle of the night is based on two things. And the first is Ruth wants to honour and obey Naomi. But the second is... Ruth trusts Boaz. If Boaz had been a pig of a man, there is no way that Ruth would have gone out in the middle of the night to lie down next to him and wait for him to wake up, in the, up cold. It would have been totally foolhardy. The reason that Ruth can go along with his plans is because she knows what she's going to do and what she does is admirable, but also because Boaz is a man of upstanding character. Think already, again, how Boaz has treated Ruth throughout the narrative so far. He asks after her. He speaks to her kindly. He encourages her. Keep gleaning his field because it's a safe place. He honours her by how he speaks to her. He shares his food with her. He tells his workers to drop more sheaves so she can pick up more than they normally would to gather for herself and Naomi. Look what Naomi says in chapter 2, verse 20 when she hears that Ruth has been working in Boaz's field. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until I have finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work with him, because in someone else's field you may be harmed. Naomi is stoked that Ruth is in Boaz's field. She prays that the Lord would bless Boaz and says, stay in his field, because in his field you'll be safe. If this man is in charge, you'll be okay, because he's an honourable man and he has control, leadership over his people and his property. This is an honourable man, a man of godly character, a man that you can trust. And so Ruth can trust him enough to go in the middle of the night knowing that nothing untoward will happen to her. And Ruth can trust him enough to ask him to consider marrying her. Now, this is huge. Look at what she asked in verse 9. 
When Boaz is awakened by the presence of Ruth in the middle of the light, he asks, who are you? Verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. It's a request for Boaz to marry her, for he is a guardian redeemer of the family who can redeem her and continue Naomi's family line through marriage. But notice the language. It's, it's quite beautiful. Spread the corner of your garment over me. It's a poetic way of saying, please cover me with your tender protection. The, the word garment there in the Hebrew is a very similar word to wing. It's the image of a, of a bird tenderly gathering its chicks under its wing to protect them. It's, it's actually that word for wing is used back in chapter 2, verse 12. Have a look there. 2.12. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth has come with Naomi to the God of Israel and has taken refuge under his wings. The Lord in his loving kindness has spread his wings tenderly, his wings of protection over Ruth and all God's people. And now Ruth asks Boaz, please do the same. Please become my husband and tenderly place your protection over me. And Boaz moves quickly and eagerly to do that very thing, to remove all obstacles and cover her with his tender protection. As we heard last week, it is a profoundly masculine thing to protect women, particularly our wives. But it's for all people to protect each other. It is a key piece of a noble character to look out for others to protect others from harm. And protection will mean sacrifice. To protect someone means to put yourself between the person you love and the harm that threatens. That's protection. It is to be a shield, a shield at cost to yourself. This is what Ruth asked Boaz to do. She's entrusting herself to Boaz. She's making herself incredibly vulnerable to Boaz. She could be deeply hurt. How could she trust herself to a man in this way? Because he's trustworthy. Because he's an honourable man. He's shown time and time again he can be trusted. And vice versa. Why does Boaz want to marry Ruth? Because she is a woman of noble character. She's an honourable woman, a woman who can be trusted. It's a massive step to marry, isn't it? For anyone to marry anyone. To entrust yourself to someone else for the rest of your life. A committed, exclusive relationship with them for as long as you live. Besides following Jesus, this, this is the biggest decision most people make in their lives. How could you work out whether you could entrust yourself to someone else for the rest of your life? Are they trustworthy? Are they someone of character who is gentle and kind and faithful and loving and steadfast and good and who protects, who is self-controlled? Or are they on a trajectory towards these things? Is that the direction that they're growing in? Because usually when you're young, that's the best you've got. But if they are, then I can entrust myself to them. Let's apply this a little further. As Christians, what is our trust of others to look like? Well, I think we always want to err on the side of trusting more than is warranted. To be generous in our trust. To think the best of people. To bear with people. To be quick to forgive and trust again. But we are to be wise and discerning. When trusting someone is foolish or trusting them totally is foolish. For instance, you cannot trust someone who is evil. 
someone who is consistently bent to hurt and harm and damage others. You cannot trust them. To trust them is both dangerous to yourself, is unloving to others, is unloving to them. They need to know they cannot be trusted so that they can repent of their evil. It's a loving signal to them. Likewise, you can't trust someone who is consistently unfaithful, who manipulates, who doesn't keep their word, who lies. How can you trust the word of someone who does not keep their word? They're not trustworthy. There may be small things in which you trust them, and you may work hard to trust them in small things, to be generous as a Christian. But to, in a large way, you entrust yourself to them would be foolish, dangerous for you, damaging for others, damaging to them. They need to know they cannot be trusted so they can repent. It's very hard to trust someone whose character is slimy or whose character is weak and compromised. You may be able to trust them to hear, but not to there or to now... Trust can be rebuilt when it's broken by repentance, by growth, by forgiveness. But generally, the more Christ-like a person's character, the more you can trust them. The person who regularly gets angry. Now, you may be able to trust them in many things, but you won't be able to fully make yourself vulnerable to them, will you? The person who gossips. You may be able to trust them to some degree, but you won't share some information with them, will you? Because you know where that information goes. Everywhere. Do you see the connection between character and trust in relationships? So as a Christian, I want to err on the side of trusting. I want to think the best of people. I want to be quick to forgive when trust is broken and trust again. But to be wise in how I trust for my good, for the good of others, for the good of that person also. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when you have people in your life who have such character, you know you can trust them. What a wonderful thing when people of, of deep character find each other and the sort of relationship of trust that develops in that environment. For instance, Ruth and Boaz. What a beautiful relationship of trust is forming and will continue to grow because it's planted in the soil of character. What a wonderful thing it is to be in a church where people are consistently growing and developing character because it creates a community of trust. It creates a community of closeness. But the sharp end of this application is this. Are you that person? Are you an honourable person that people think, I can trust that woman. I can trust that man. That's a woman I can trust. That's a man I can trust. Noble character is beautiful and creates relationships of trust. Once in a while, Megan and I um, like to go into the city, go down to the Capitol Theatre and watch a show. Uh, a production, a, a play. I think the last one I went to was a long time ago. It was uh, Aladdin. It was very, very good. The acting, the costumes, the humour, the, the light, the sets, the, everything was amazing. When you're watching a show, you're totally fixated on the stage, on the actors, on the action, at least if the show is good. That's, that's where you're totally fixated. What you never see is the author who wrote the play. What you never see is the director who directed it exactly as they wanted it to be. Well, this is exactly like the book of Ruth and the book of Esther as well. Most of the time, all we see is the stage, the actors and the actions on the stage. Now, I, I, when I say actors and I call it a stage, I'm not suggesting that this is uh, not real. This is a real account of real people. This is history. But what I mean is we are looking at the stage of human life. All we can see is humans and their interactions. What we can't see is the author of the play of life, the Lord. What we can't see is the director of the play of life who is in directing every detail of the play exactly as he wants it to be. 
the Lord, the unseen God who has authored and directs all things. The book of Ruth is designed to get us to look up, to look above the stage, to see in the actors and the actions something of the author and director, our Lord God. And it's designed to show us the flawlessly beautiful character of God who we can totally trust. See, ultimately, this chapter is about God's character. It's about uh, where the noble character of Ruth and Boaz comes from. It comes from the Lord. The Lord is the God of perfect goodness and kindness and faithfulness and love and protection. His character is flawlessly perfect in every way. And we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he's fundamentally kind, hesed, faithful, tender, committed, loving kindness, which is exactly what we see in Ruth and Boaz. They are like they are because they are the Lord's people, loved by him, following his ways. You see in Boaz's speech, beginning and end, it starts with the Lord. He lives a God-oriented life, conscious that all of life is lived before the Lord. And Ruth and Boaz are meant to be little illustrations, imperfect illustrations of the perfect character of God. We see them on the stage, small imperfect pictures of the perfect character of God. In fact, little pictures of Jesus to come. When God comes as a human, a man, and lives amongst us and exhibits the flawlessly beautiful character of God. And so, Boaz, kinsman redeemer, who takes Ruth under his wings of protection, is a picture of the Lord Jesus, is a picture of God. God has cast his wings of protection over Ruth, a Gentile, a Moabitess, someone from an arch enemy nation who had previously worshipped false gods, and yet, through Naomi, the Lord brings her to himself and places his wings of loving protection over her. Boaz is a little picture of the Lord in this, and a little picture of Jesus who will come. When Jesus comes, he gathers his people together who are lost sheep and brings them safely into his fold. As a hen gathers the chicks under his wings, so, so he gathers his people together to protect them and lose none of them. Jesus is the perfect Boaz, who in loving kindness draws his people to himself, tenderly places his wings of protection over them. And Jesus protects through sacrifice. Do you remember that that's what protection is? To put yourself between the person you love and the harm that threatens them. To be a shield at cost to yourself. A shield. You take the beating so that they might be protected. That's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And we need him to do it because our character is flawed. Even Ruth and Boaz is flawed. Every human being has fallen so far short of God's standard in their actions and in their character that his righteous judgment should fall upon us. Uh, we deserve his punishment. But God in Jesus has provided a shield a protector. If we entrust ourselves to him, he stands between us and the judgment we deserve. He casts his wings of protection over us and saves us. Boaz is a little picture of that. And as we watch the unfolding story of Ruth and Boaz, we're not meant to just enjoy their character and the relationships of trust that are building, but to see in their characters a pale reflection of the character of the Lord who we can trust, most clearly demonstrated in Jesus. You see the, the author and director working behind the stage, the scenes, in many ways. You see it in all that is going on for Naomi. God is working for Naomi, even though she isn't a very admirable person through most of the book. 
Despite Naomi's sin, despite going to Moab, despite her bitterness towards the Lord, despite her failure to see the role Ruth is playing, despite all this, God works for the good of Naomi. Incredible kindness so that Naomi, who begins the book empty, ends the book filled, hope, future, rest, and none of it due to her character, none of it due to her behaviour, but solely due to the kindness and character of God. That's a picture of us. We are so undeserving by our character, and yet the Lord, because of his character, saves, protects, loves, forgives. The Lord is working behind the scenes to be incredibly kind to Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. This is the character of the Lord. You see it in answered prayers. The actors on the stage of life are being kind and noble, showing noble character, Ruth and Boaz, but it's designed to get us to look up, see the author, the director, and show the beauty of his character. But even bigger than this, God is not just being kind to these individuals. He's actually working through these individuals, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, to bring blessings to the nations of the earth, working through them to bring blessings to the people of the world. We'll see more of that next week. Our Lord is profoundly and perfectly and beautifully good and faithful and pure and kind. And so we can trust him. Just like Ruth, who entrusts herself to Boaz because of his noble character, we can entrust ourselves to the Lord, the God of flawless character. As Ruth entrusts herself to her guardian redeemer, Boaz, we can entrust ourselves to our guardian redeemer, who redeems us by his blood, Jesus. As Ruth sees in Boaz a man of character, who can she can entrust herself to and come under his gentle protection, we can, like Ruth, see in the Lord Jesus, the God of flawless character, and come under his tender protection and salvation. People may have let you down in this life. Some of you will be let down in such terrible ways. But the Lord will not let you down. The Lord's character is flawlessly beautiful. His faithful love is perfect. His tender protection is secure. He will never let you down. You can trust him because it's based on something deep and rich and solid. It is based on the beautiful character of our Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we praise you for your character that is so richly and deeply and flawlessly beautiful. We praise you that you are good and kind and loving and faithful and pure and that you have cast your tender protection over us. Please enable us to entrust ourselves to you more and more deeply. And please make us more and more like you. Please make us people of noble character, of deep kindness, who protect and care for those around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.